Let me ask you to take out your Bibles and uh, turn to Titus chapter 2. Now, while you're turning to Titus chapter 2, I want to tell you in the communicants class that uh, I forgot for us to hand out your new Bibles to you. They're sitting right there in the front pew. And uh, if you need one, you can go get it. It's got your name on it, or you can get it uh, following the service today. Um, uh, Jeanette was there already, and I just skipped right over her. Uh, So uh, we do have some very nice Bibles for uh, these new members of our church. Titus chapter 2, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, will you now be our teacher as we look into your word, as we uh, put even some of these things we have done today in their rightful context, which is according to your truth and by your spirit. And so we would ask for this, for clarity in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. The women of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church are essential to the health of this church. That may be the least controversial thing I have ever said from (laughs) this pulpit. I can't imagine anyone saying, what's he talking about? Where's he going with this? uh, you're, you're just going, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's true. The women of St. Andrews are essential to the health of this church. Now, among the women here at St. Andrews, there are those of you who have children of your own at home. There are those of you whose children are grown. And there are those of you who either have not had children yet or will not have children. 
Today on Mother's Day, I want to challenge each of you, regardless of which category you have been called to at this point, I want to challenge each of you perhaps to think a little differently than you've been thinking about the children here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian. First of all, uh, those of you with children, I want you to think of other children here at St. Andrew's as children that God has caused you to have a role as a mother. Even if you have your own children, the other children here are a part of your, our calling. Secondly, those of you whose children are grown, I want to challenge you to resist that what I think is a a horrendous temptation to think, well, I've put in my time. I raised my kids. Now it's time for someone else to take these kids on. I want to encourage you to resist that kind of thinking. Those of you who have not had children, I want to challenge you to think in terms of your role in the family here at St. Andrews. Mark alluded to that earlier, and I couldn't agree more. I believe all of us have a privilege and responsibility to the next generation, every single every single uh, member of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And I am convinced that if St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church is at its healthiest, we would have what would amount to uh, a church full of mothers and fathers toward our children. So that when... Our children walk through the doors. They're in the presence of mothers. They're in the presence of their grandmothers, their aunts, and their big sisters. And those of you with children, isn't that the kind of atmosphere you would want them to grow up in? Isn't that what you would want them to have memories of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church? That's, that's my family. And they all love me, not just my parents, but they all cared about me. And I would, I would love it, and it would show our church at, at its healthiest if we all considered it a privilege to serve in that capacity, to contribute to their spiritual welfare, to protect them, and to pray for them, not just occasionally, not just when we see them, but pray for them 
like we would pray for our own children. So let's take a look at, uh, I'm going to look at a couple of passages and then give us some application. (coughs) And the first, let me just say, excuse me for my cough, and I won't say it every time I cough, so that's a a blanket excuse, okay? Um, First of all, it was God's plan to pass the faith on through the generations. That was God's plan, to pass it through the generations. Psalm 78, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Uh, Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. Pointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Psalm 45, 17, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Virtually everything that I know about the faith I learned from a previous generation. In my early years, it was my parents, it was Sunday school teachers, in college, it was professors, in seminary, it was professors, and even even books from those in previous generations. And, And that's how it works. It's passed from one generation to the next. Susan Hunt, in uh, her book, Heirs of the Covenant, tells a story of an Anne Hamilton. One of her descendants, uh, Bill Arms, who is with the Lord now, but he was a pastor in our denomination, uh, tells this story of how Anne Hamilton was known in her little Scottish village for being a a devout Christian, uh, one whose radiance, her countenance, uh, just radiated the love of Christ. You have been around people like that. You know what I'm talking about. That was what she was like and and, uh, had a real peace in the Lord. But he says the story was handed down from generation to generation that on her deathbed, her family, Anne's family, observed that her sweet countenance had turned to a a look of worry, a look of anxiety. And they they said, what's wrong? After a few minutes, she said to them, and as she did, her expression changed once more to a radiance. She said, children, 
I have it. He has given me the promise. And then she quoted this from Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of uh, your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your seed, nor out of the mouth of your seed's seed, says the Lord from henceforth and forever. She uh, claimed that covenant promise and was convinced that God was affirming that he would fulfill that. He would honor that promise to that little Scottish mother. Now fast forward. Five generations later, that's where Bill Arms comes in. It was his generation. His uh, brother and sisters were all pastors or married to pastors. Then among their children were pastors, missionaries, heads of Christian schools, deacons, elders, and chaplains. And that family touched me as well. And so they touched you as well. Pastor Bill Arms was, was my pastor, the pastor of the first Bible-believing church that my family went to. In that church, he preached a sermon where he challenged you young people, that was me at the time, you young people to give your future to the Lord. And I was moved by that message and I, I raised my hand at, at the end that I wanted to give my future to the Lord. And it was through that as he saw fit to, um, to uh, see that I was trained, that I was given opportunity to teach and, and, and so on, that God used that in order to call me into the ministry. Not only that, he was Connie's pastor. She was a young person at the time. That's my wife. Her family, too, had moved there from a, a, a non-Bible-believing church to that Bible-believing church. It was at that church under his ministry that she came to Christ. And it was he that uh, married us a few years later. What an impact he had on us. Then I went to seminary, and my first call out of seminary was with another man from that generation who was married to one of Bill Arms' siblings, and I was his assistant pastor. 
it would be hard to imagine the kind of impact that Anne Hamilton's prayer and family has had across our denomination and far beyond our denomination as, as there were uh, missionaries in that generation as well. Bill Arm's brother was a missionary. We might, might think, well, okay, but that's an unusual family. It ought not to be. That's the way God planned it, is for one generation to pass it on to the next generation. Ideally, through families. But not always. And that brings us to the the second thing, and that is the passing faith on is not limited to families. Our scripture reading today was from Titus, Titus 2. And in that section, um, it talks about older men, who, uh, how they are to act and what they are to pass on to the younger men. And then uh, Paul, in all of his boldness, talks about older women and how they are to uh, pass it on to the younger women. But it's actually this passage that uh, uh, inspired our Titus II ministry where, where uh, what Paul would call the older women uh, actually do meet with younger women and pass these things on. And that's the way it's meant to be. The older need to learn certain things, but they aren't just to keep it to themselves. It's of no use if, if you gain all this experience and make all these mistakes in your life and you don't bother to pass it on to others. And Paul says, this is the way it ought to be. That's what the church family should look like. Now, some might object. You may even be one thinking in your mind, well, they don't want to hear it. You know, these millennials or whatever generation you want to point your finger at. By the way, that's always been the case. There have always been millennials. They were just called different things. And and there was always the greatest generation. They were just called different things and, and so on. And I'm sure some objected when Paul said this. They, they probably said, oh, well, those young people don't want to hear from us. Really? You know, those who are studying the millennials and the younger generation, they say it's the exact opposite. They want to hear. They, they like to hear Some of them are are so uprooted and have no family or no Christian heritage that their only opportunity for it to be passed on from one generation to the next is through the family of God. Some didn't, didn't have that opportunity Even if they don't want to hear it, it's your responsibility to train and to teach. Part of the reason is so that there'll be a right witness before the world, because that's not going on in other places. It's not. 
There, there is separation between the generations. And that's one of the things I love about, about uh, our church and, and all the generations that are, are represented here. Now, I've used uh, uh, the term responsibility, but I want to I give you the fullest perspective. It is a responsibility, but it's not just a responsibility. And, and let's go to some application. Passing the faith on is a privilege for all of us. It is a covenant privilege. God's faithfulness, ordinarily he's going to use you and me to pass it on to the next generation. What do we mean by that? Well, when we baptize our children and give them the sign that they're entitled to certain privileges since they are children of the covenant, one of the privileges actually has to do with the congregation as a whole. And you just did it a few minutes ago. After the parents had taken their vow, then I said this, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child. And as I turned around, I saw hundreds of hands up. And unless you've stood up here with your own child like we did four times with, uh, when our children were infants, you cannot imagine how meaningful that is to see people saying, I'm with you. Yes. So much of our ministry for me and for Connie, we were completely away from any family, but, but we had lots of family. Our kids knew it. So today you've seen both ends of the vow. You've seen babies and young families that took a vow by the way, God has blessed uh, us with a lot of babies, uh, the, including these baptisms today. That makes 25 infant baptisms since 2017. That's a lot of babies. Um, we're, uh, you know, it's not easy to add on to a nursery. You can't really do that, but... Um, we got full nurseries, and for that we praise the Lord. That's, that's the future of the church, isn't it? How blessed we are to have these young families and, and all these babies. And you've seen children who, who are older, and as I mentioned to you, some of them were held by their parents in front of this very church, and, and I said to their parents, what is the Christian name of your child? And they gave me their name, and I I baptized them, and our prayer that day was like it was today, that, that someday they would stand up and profess their, their faith in Christ, and we have seen not how good we are, but how faithful God is to his promises. And those children as well benefited because many of you were here and you raised your hand, yes, I will assist the parents. So you should be rejoicing as much as the parents 
when you see them stand in front of this church family. So let me give you some reasons why it's a privilege, because it's based on grace that he has first shown to us. Secondly, it's a privilege because he actually wants to use us. And you may say, I don't think I'm very useful. Um, He loves to use all kinds of people. Some of you, God, did not call to physically be mothers, and yet you have so much to offer to the children of St. Andrews. Some of your children are grown, and yet you've got so much to offer to our children, some of them that are far from grandparents, or even if they're not. You can always use another set of grandparents. If you took that vow, I want to ask you today to ask God how he is calling you to fulfill that vow. You took a vow before him. It wasn't a trick. We do it every time. God, how are you wanting me to fulfill that? I'm going to get real practical here. Outside here, there is is a, a board that if you walk out these doors, you will see it. And it's representing our children's ministry. And it's got a whole bunch of cards on it. And those cards, they're all similar. But like this one says, I want to be part of guiding children to know, love, and serve Jesus. And then it says, nursery volunteer. Care for infants up to age three on a rotation basis several times a year. You know what? The, the more people we get in that nursery, uh, the less time uh, folks have to miss worship to take care of the children. Now, some of them, are you might, and there's, there's children's church, there's desk monitor, there's all kinds of things. And for some of you, you say, yeah, I'd love to hold those babies. Some of you do that in hospitals. You volunteer at the hospitals. How about holding our babies here too? So you take one, there's a place for your name, and, and Jeanette or somebody from the children's team will, will call you. And look, you're not absolutely committing. You can find out more about it, but uh, I, there should be one out there that just says, I want to be part of guiding children to know, love, and serve Jesus. Call me. And that's, that way you can say, where are your needs? Let's see where I might fit. And you might be surprised of the needs. But these are opportunity. We have the nursery, Camp Jam. We've got Sunday school, Wednesday night program during the school year. And some of you might say, I can't do any of that. You can pray for our children. And all of us must be doing that as well. Not, not, not just if we can't do that, but certainly if you are unable physically to fulfill one of those positions, you can certainly be praying for a teacher, a class, a child. And you'll hear more about opportunities that way in the future. Let me give you, uh, finally, what I believe is the greatest incentive to, to um, be with our children. 
because it makes us like Jesus. Let me read to you from uh, Anselm, who was uh, an Archbishop of Canterbury back in 1109, a long time ago. He wrote this poem that's also a prayer. He said, Jesus, as a mother, you gather your people to you. You are gentle with us as a mother with her children. Often you weep over our sins and our pride. Tenderly you draw us from hatred and judgment. You comfort us in sorrow and bind up our wounds. In sickness you nurse us, and with pure milk you feed us. Jesus, by your dying we are born to new life. By your anguish and labor we come forth in joy. Despair turns to hope through your sweet goodness. Through your gentleness, we find comfort in fear. Your warmth gives life to the dead. Your touch makes sinners righteous. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, heal us. In your love and tenderness, remake us. In your compassion, bring grace and forgiveness. For the beauty of heaven, may your love prepare us. When you love the children of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, you have these qualities. And whether you have your own children or not, you are more like Jesus. Let's bow together. Lord, would you simply reveal to us how you are calling us to fulfill the vow we took earlier? Not that we would be guilted into doing anything, but we would see the responsibility and the privilege of being like you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.